Welcome back to the Archivist. Uh, I hope you guys missed me. I've been gone. It's been a pretty fast and furious summer for us. My son plays baseball on a travel team, so we've been on the go for the last 14 weeks. It's been a lot. So unfortunately, I wasn't able to keep up with recording. And I'm back now, now that baseball is coming to an end, fall ball hasn't started, and, you know, here I am with some more stories to share with you. Uh, you may notice I have done away with the intro. We're just going to start by a quick hello and jumping right in. So I don't know if you've ever heard the statistic that the average person walks past 36 murderers in their lifetime. And that's scary. I'm a little bit shocked by that. But the other day, my husband was at our local grocery store and he sent a picture of a man that was shopping in the grocery store. And he didn't say anything. And I just was like, who is that? And he told me his name. And I still was like, doesn't ring a bell. And he says, well, he's the one that I told you about. So this is this man's story. And it begins in March 1984 in Verona, Kentucky. And there's a man driving on Interstate 71, and he sees something on the side of the road that looks like a blanket, like a flannel blanket. And he pulls over to take a look at the blanket. I don't know why he was curious about it. I, you know, I like to make a joke that, oh, he saw that, you know, that fancy flannel blanket and he just had to have it. But really, there's no no telling what it is that sparked his interest. But for some reason, he pulled over. And unfortunately, he got more than he thought he would get. And he discovers that this is not just a blanket. It is a woman's nightgown, and the woman is wearing it. So there is a woman on the side of the road in a nightgown. And so he contacts the police in Boone County. And again, this is 1984, so there's no cell phones. He had to drive into town and call the police. And so the Boone County police, they come out to the scene, and they do find this is a woman wearing a full-length flannel nightgown, and she has knee-high socks on. There's nothing evidentiary, evidentiary around the scene. It's literally just this woman's body. And they don't find a purse. There's nothing, no sort of identification on her. And there are also no visible tire tracks or usable foot, footprints. Her body is taken to the morgue for an autopsy, and they are hoping that at that point they can identify her. After this autopsy is performed, they discover that she had been shot in the back of her head with a shotgun. And, uh, you know, this is this is terrible. I mean, this is clearly, this is a woman who was, you know, cozied up and ready to go to bed, and she somehow ends up dead and on the side of the road in Kentucky. So they end up having to use dental records to identify her, and they do they are able to identify her, which I need to look into how they do dental records because I don't understand how they are able to so quickly identify her. Like there's hundreds of dentists. So what? How did that happen? But somehow they found her and she is identified as Lillian Irene Garber. 
And this is just a few days later. They identify her on March 15th. Lillian is 26 years old, and she comes from the town of Brookville, Ohio. Lillian had not been reported as missing, so the authorities initially believed that, you know, she had recently been killed right before her body was discovered on the side of the road. There's not a whole lot known about Lillian. Um, I did some quick searches, and really, I couldn't find a whole lot. She's 26 years old. She grew up in a small town called Wirtz, Virginia, and this is where most of her family and her parents are still living. She has four sisters and two brothers. Um, They are Yvonne, Karen, Addie, Gaitha, Kermit, and Keith. And Lillian lives with her husband in a brick farmhouse in Brookville, Ohio. Her husband, Larry, runs a farm on this property. And Lillian is described by many as a free spirit. Um, They say that it is not unusual for her to kind of run off for a couple of days and then, you know, suddenly return home. So she, you know, she likes to do her thing. She did not love being a farmer's life. She was more of a fun-loving party girl. Like, she, you know, she wanted to hang out with girls. She wanted to go out drinking. She liked to dance. Um, She definitely was not the kind that wanted to, you know, do the work that a farmer has to do. So the body was identified by authorities And they were interested in talking to her 29-year-old husband, Larry Garber. So detectives, they speak with her large family. They speak with her friends. And they are told that in September the year before, Larry informed all of them that Lillian had come home from a night out. And she told him, I'm leaving you and I'm moving to Kentucky. And most of her friends and family, again, they are not concerned. This seems completely within her character. And not at all, not at all unexpected because they knew she did not like living on a farm. Neighbors of the couple said that they did not have a whole lot of interaction with Larry and Lillian, but what they did know of them, they felt like the couple was very nice and they kept to themselves. That to me is a red flag, but we'll see. When investigators show up at the farmhouse to talk with Larry, they notice a large upright freezer in the couple's home. And this catches the eye of the detectives right away because they discovered that Lillian's body had actually been frozen when she was found. And they that's why they were able to, or that's why they at first thought she had only recently gone missing. So knowing that you know she'd been in this freezer and it was march so the temperatures had not been above freezing for much time at all if at all because sometimes if you live in ohio kentucky area in march march can either be absolutely frigid or it can be mild this apparently was a very frigid march and her body was still partially frozen when they found her on the side of the road. So they knew that she had been frozen at some point. So detectives kind of put this two and two together. They say, well, they got a large upright freezer and she was frozen. So they think Larry must have stored her body in this freezer. They don't tell him that they've made this connection and they don't tell him that her body had been frozen. So Larry continues to cooperate and answer all of their questions. 
A few days later, they ask Larry to come into the station to answer some more questions, which he willingly does. He's cooperating. He's doing what they ask. He's giving the information that they ask. And when they get him into the interrogation room, they begin to question him about where had Lily gone off to? Who was she with? And, you know, he's giving them answers, but he's a little cagey and they know the answers that he's giving them are not true. And so finally, they say, point blank, how long did you store her body in the freezer? That catches Larry off guard and literally he immediately confesses like the jig is up, dude. I you got me. So he tells them that he was tired of her running off and cheating on him. So he shot her in the back and stored her body in the freezer for six months before taking a trip to Kentucky, where he then dumped her body on the side of the road. He had obviously hoped that it would take longer to find her, maybe thinking that once she had thawed out all the way, they would find her and they wouldn't be able to say, like, oh, she'd been stored in a freezer. Um, Police think the shooting happened right before she was found originally they they didn't they didn't put it together at first that this runoff in september so it took them a minute to put all that together they first were saying he he had shot her dumped her on the side of the road but then when they saw the freezer, they're like, okay, wait, no, he stored her in that freezer. So that all kind of came together for them while they were questioning Larry. So police get a search warrant for his house where they seize the freezer and a few other pieces of evidence. There's not much, but really there's not a whole lot of evidence for them to get because it's been six months. So once Larry is arrested and charged There is sort of a little bit of a question on where he's going to stand trial. Typically, the trial is held in the location where the body is found. But because the greatest amount of evidence in this case is in Montgomery County, Ohio, the officers assisting the Kentucky police, it was determined then that they would take the trial into Montgomery County court system, which is where the city of Brookville is. I think I'd explain that really crazy. So the Montgomery County Sheriff and the Kentucky police were working together because her body was found in Kentucky, but the greatest amount of evidence is in Montgomery County. So they agreed to let the trial take place in Montgomery County. Hopefully I re-explained that better. In July of 1984, Larry pleads innocent by reason of insanity, and the court orders him to undergo evaluation for competency. I can't say that before each hearing. So he, you know, he's like, oh, I'm crazy. And they're like, okay, we'll prove it. So a jury trial is then set for February 26, 1985. But on February 21st, 1985, Larry Garber changes his plea to guilty and a reduced charge of voluntary manslaughter. This bugs me because to me, manslaughter is defined as like an accidental, like you didn't realize that your actions would cause the death of a person, where he knowingly held a gun to the back of his wife's head and fired it, knowing it would kill her. So that's not manslaughter. That's actual murder. But it got him into prison, I guess. So we should be happy about that. Um, 
The court accepted his plea deal and he was sentenced to 10 to 25 years with no parole until after he had served nine years. So he also has to serve a mandatory three years for the weapons charge. Lillian's family was asked if they, you know, accept or deny this plea, and they did accept it. I think at that point, they were kind of just wanting to move past what had happened to their family member. And I really think they were just ready to move on. Larry Garber's attorney continued to maintain that Larry had to be insane at the time of Lillian's murder. And he's quoted in the newspaper as saying, there is no reasonable explanation for that bizarre behavior. True. Correct. Murder is bizarre. And it is an insane action. But that doesn't mean that he was insane. He knew what he was doing was wrong. He tried to cover it up. He, you know, gave the alibi of she just ran off again, which he knew everybody would believe. And hid her body for six months until he finally decided, okay, I think I'm safe to get rid of it now. He knew what he was doing. He knew it was wrong. And he basically hid. He wasn't insane. Anyway, I'll stop off my soapbox. So he did serve 20 years of his prison sentence, and he was released from prison in the early 2000s. I couldn't find the exact date, so it was sometime around 2004 or 2005. Once he was released from prison, he moved back to northern Dayton area where he lives and works on a farm. And that is how my husband ran across him in a grocery store and sent me a picture. This is one of the 36 people that my husband crosses paths with in his lifetime that has committed murder. So there you go. That was the murder of Lillian Garber. I'm filing this one under the husband did it because the husband did it. And I got all of this information from articles that appeared in the Cincinnati Inquirer and the Dayton Daily News in March of 1984 and February 1985. Uh, If you would like to see some pictures or read the transcripts of this um, episode, you can visit our website at thearchivistpodcast.com. So I hope you enjoyed this little short story for starting off our new season, and uh, I will talk to you all later.